Hello and welcome to Casual Cognition. We have got a great episode for you today. I am personally really excited for this episode because we are going to have our first of many book chats talking about a little bit of fine literature for you. So thank you as always for listening and if you'd like to support us and give us a rating on iTunes, it really helps us out with the algorithms and all that jazz to get a, the podcast out there. So thank you again and we hope you enjoy the episode. And here we go. Welcome, Nate. Welcome, my friend. How are you today on this fine day? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a little bit of a weird day, but yeah, I'm here on the podcast, so I'm stoked. I'm ready to go. Always feels good to be on the podcast. Even if it's a weird like, day or if it's super early in the morning. Yeah. Just like coming home, bud. <laughs> All right. Well, today we have a very interesting and um, out there episode for you guys. We're going to start it off with a discussion about fractals. And... Uh, mm what they are um, and where they exist both artificially and in nature. So first of all what a fractal is in its most simple form is it's essentially a self-similar object or pattern that is recursive meaning that it can it's similar at larger and smaller levels. So, if you want to think of a very simple fractal, um, you can think of a Triforce from Zelda, which is three triangles stacked on top of each other to make a third, uh, a big triangle. And if you just think of each smaller triangle as being a Triforce as well, and then each subsequent smaller triangle in those smaller triangles also being Triforces, then that's basically a very simple fractal pattern. I love that you use the Triforce as the <laughs> as an example. I thought you would like that, that. That is wonderful to all of our gamer listeners out there. I'm sure they'll they'll enjoy starting it off with a nice little uh, Zelda reference. Yeah, I knew you'd like that one. Um, but yeah, there's there are many. There's pretty much countless examples of fractals. One of the things I do want to mention briefly before we get into that, though, is if you get if you uh, if you listen to our last episode, talked a little bit about um, simu the simulation hypothesis, and I, it got me thinking. Like, if you wanted to reduce the computation and processing needed to simulate a universe fractals would be a ingenious <laughs> way to do it you just do one simple mathematical equation that basically takes care of like uh in a multitude an infinite number of scales so yes and that, that's this, my thought on that well what's interesting is that 
fractals appear almost everywhere in nature. I mean, not not like specifically in everything you can find a fractal, but like they're all over the place. They're super common. An easy example is a fern plant um, where their leaves are big towards the base and they get smaller and smaller as they go up towards the uh, end of the plant. And if you take off a snippet of any part of that fern branch, um, it's going to have a very similar ratio of the leaves um, in comparison to each other and in comparison to the size change over the uh, you know over the the branch. So mm. if you take a, a snippet of one part of a fern and then a snippet of another part of a fern and then take a picture of them both on a white back background, it's going to be really hard to tell you know which one's bigger and which one's smaller if you've zoomed in on one a little bit more because they're mm. gonna be the almost the exact same shape nice yeah so that that's super interesting uh example you have there i, I guess we can kind of go we can kind of go through some of the different examples just to show like how pervasive these things are in nature so and there and there's kind of like different subsets of fractals so like yeah. one of them uh it's known as the lichtenberg figures uh so it was initially i think it was uh, initially uh like it was running an electrical current through a some kind of medium that like captured the um the geometrical patterns that are created from from that from that current and it's basically like lightning so that that was like the first example they they um you can see it looks like lightning bolts so you have you know a big bolt and then you have these small ones kind of coming off the side and then if you zoom in you, that is just basically happening forever but what's very interesting is you know you think about lightning and that that's one example but then you know you can that same exact figure and that same idea, that same pattern is happening on all of these different um, mediums. So like you have, so if you look at the lungs, like a human lung, the same thing is happening. If you look at- uh, It's basically like the path roots. of least resistance pattern. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Flows in, in like a lot of different places, how electrical current will pass through like wood or flesh or something like that. Yeah, you have uh, blood vessels, roots, leaves, rivers, mycelium. All of this stuff is kind of following the same pattern. Yeah. And another interesting thing in, in regards to that um, is that you can take water and kind of flow it onto, say, um, sand or clay and um, sort of carve the a little patch of dirt with that water. And if it's similar, if the flow of the water is similar to like a natural, natural form like the ocean or a river or something like that, and then you take a picture of a similar landform scaled mm -hmm. up, you know, a riverbank or something like that, you can actually make it look almost exactly alike. 
And Hank and I used to see lots of examples of this uh, growing up in Sonona, Arizona, where there was all these washes from the mountains. And the rainwater would come, it would get onto the mountains, and there'd be not a whole lot to soak it up. And so it would flow down the mountains in these big washes. And if you looked at a tiny little stream that was created um, in one of these storms that was sort of like a branch off of one of these washes, it looked like a little tiny wash. The forms of them were almost identical or, you know, very similar. So it it happens, it seems to be a just sort of natural patterning to the universe based on how physics work. Um, there's a lot of meaning that can be ascribed to it, and there, there could also be a, just as easily a position that says that it's just completely meaningless. It's just a coincidental, kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm, well, look at that. Um, I think that it's just too cool to not be important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of... Uh, to me, when I think about fractals, it's it's basically, and we're going to get more into this later in the podcast, but it kind of points us to the direction that there are these very simple universal principles that are pervasive in the universe. And, you know, if and we can also find those kinds of things and how they relate to the human experience and the human condition. And I think that's where it gets even more interesting. Um, well, of course, it's it's interesting to look at it on on all scales. But the thing that's amazing with fractals and with this idea of universal principles is we can observe something on one scale, um, like like with with our everyday lives. Like this is like the you know our our dimension of how we observe and see things could see these different patterns and then we can apply principles that we learn to how the how the actual the universe works and then also going down into the micro dimension um and looking at like a perfect example uh actually i think we're, we're gonna get a little more into this later so i don't want to like i don't want to derail us now um <laughs> because we're going to talk more about universal principles later on in the in the episode um but i guess we can go in, we can go to another example uh of fractal this one's actually a human a human made fractal uh it's known as the mandelbrot set and this is a really really interesting and weird example I'm going to post some of pictures fractals. of it on Instagram. So yeah, if you want to check yeah. us out on there, there's some examples of uh, of what this is. You've probably seen pictures of it before, but it's and very what's, interesting. What's going. the Instagram It's just handle? Casual Cognition. If you look up Casual okay. Cognition, we'll be there. Okay, cool. So, yeah, the Mandelbrot set is really weird. You, you probably, or it depends on what your background is, but... Growing up in Sedona, we saw a lot of different <laughs> fractal stuff, and I, I've I know I've seen this a bunch. But basically, the idea is 
it's this like really simple mathematical equation that contains infinite reoccurring patterns. So you have this like weird looking shape and you're like, huh, that's kind of weird. That's kind of interesting. And then you start zooming in on it. It's a big black and, shape. Yeah, and you start zooming in on it. And then it's like, whoa, okay, this is actually containing a multitude of different geometrical patterns and shapes. Keep zooming in. And all of these interesting patterns emerge from this simple equation. But then as you keep on going for, it depends. I, I don't remember exactly. It's been a while since I've looked at it. But you keep on going. And then all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, I've seen that before. And then it's the same thing again. And you just zoom in infinitely. And it just keep these patterns keep on occurring. And it's very strange because there's it's a simple equation, but the patterns that emerge are pretty complex. Yeah, and, and to give you an idea of, of what the math is behind here, basically what they're doing is they're um, they're plugging numbers into this equation and whenever that number goes to zero through the equation they turn it black it corresponds to black and whenever that you know, then they have different colors for different numbers um, on the number scale that correspond to different colors so <clears throat> the Mandelbrot set is essentially colored like numbers that are assigned a color value and so that that picture represents a mathematical formula directly and it's beautiful i mean unbelievably beautiful hmm. so you know i i mean like i said i think it's just too cool to be to not be important like like it might not actually we might it might not lead to some big breakthrough or something but it's it's one of those things it's like well you know is how how important is like the mona lisa or how important is um the grand canyon it's like these things they don't necessarily um advance us in in some direct measurable way but i think that they they elevate our consciousness in a very special and unique way and they connect us with um, with ourselves and the rest of the universe, and in a way, through our our thinking and our um, our perceiving, and it's just so mind boggling that I think it, it's it's one of those things that naturally just stretches the uh, stretches your horizons. Just to even look I at love it. that I love that point, man. It's you can't you can't put a put a value on inspiration and the feeling of being mind blown yeah <laughs> and like and the and the feeling of interconnectedness that these different i mean you mentioned i love that you mentioned so we have like a beautiful piece of art a natural wonder and a mathematical equation and like there's something about all of these things that seem completely like how could you how could you connect those in any way but there's something about them that connects all of us and that can inspire us to 
learn more and create more and to you know because they the, all of those things it touches something like deep within all of us maybe not maybe not every time you look at it but and i don't know it, it also depends on your what you're into you know um yeah the mona lisa might not be the best example because it's just so it's almost cliche as an art piece if yeah you, if it was the first time you'd seen it and you had an appreciation of how difficult it is to paint like that then maybe but you know insert whatever incredible art piece some alex gray piece or something like that but you know yeah, it's it was just... actually it's really funny i i uh a couple of years back I, I was at the louvre in paris and i fancy just, gentleman you i just saw this like stream of people you know going into one of the rooms and I, i'd been looking around for a few hours and there were just mind-blowing paintings and sculptures and all this crazy just amazing artwork that was just completely blowing my mind um i know this is this is a little bit of a sidewind here but i think it's interesting to share like um you know i saw i saw this one sculpture this marble sculpture of a horse that was just completely terrified as it was being uh constricted by this massive snake and the artist who had sculpted the piece like it was so detailed that the sinews uh, like the muscle sinews and the even the veins of the horse you could see oh wow and it was perfectly smooth and there was this epic thing of it, it was being constricted and strangled by this snake and then it was turning around and looking at the horse and you could see the fear in its eyes and that just blew my mind completely. And then later on, I'm walking around and I see there's like this massive stream of people all going in this one direction. So I go over there and then I enter this room and it's just completely packed. It's like just completely <laughs> packed. And I like peer over into the corner. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I see this like, it's, it's, it's barely, it's like almost the size of like a, of like a regular sheet of paper. And it's the fucking Mona Lisa. It's the and like, Mona Lisa. And there's the hundreds of people taking pictures and like <laughs> freaking out. And I'm just like, what? That's it? It's like it's like the size of a fucking notebook. It's like this yeah, tiny it's little like an thing. It's like an 8x10 piece. <laughs> yeah, based on so, how, how people perceive that thing, you'd think it'd be like a, a fucking wall mural. Yeah, so I don't really know. I mean, I guess... I thought about that because I was thoroughly unimpressed. I think it was honestly mostly because of the hype. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and I and another thing, like like as somebody who paints, I think that painting speaks to me a lot because I see like the sheer amount of skill that goes into making something like that. Yeah. And you can kind of analyze the composition and, and the colors and also, you know, realize that things have faded over time and stuff like that. But so, you know, I think I think it's easier for me to appreciate that particular piece than something like what you were talking about, the the horse sculpture. I mean, that's just unbelievable, no matter who you are. Very up and in your face. But, um, yeah, I, my favorite picture of the Mona Lisa 
is taken by this dude who's standing at the back of that room. And I, he must have brought a little stepladder or something or just been super fucking tall. Because um, the, the way the, the perspective is, he's taking it at like a little bit above the crowd. Yeah. And, and you can just see the very top of the Mona Lisa. And he just titled the picture the Mona Lisa. And it's mm. just like a whole bunch of people with their phones out reaching up yeah. above the crowd to get a picture. You could just see like one little sliver of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it was just, yeah. it was almost embarrassing. Yeah, that's that's how I felt a little bit when I was there. I was just like, man, this is, and I don't know, it, it's some kind of weird, weird uh, mindset for me. But like for some reason, just because there were so many people and every, and there was like this strange frenzy in in these human beings that because they needed to capture the thing on their phone and they needed to show everyone that they were they saw the Mona Lisa and look what I'm doing and that like that whole thing and I, I just it kind of it just threw me for a loop man it <laughs> kind of made me just be like nah I don't really care about this like I I like the sculpture more I, I like these other and if, of course like you said like I mean it's an amazing piece of art. It's it's absolutely amazing and it, and it's it's kind of weird because in a, in a way it does relate to our conversation because um and maybe we'll talk about this on a on a separate episode because it's kind of its own thing but it's related to fractals like and that's the golden ratio, right? Mm. So the and Fibonacci he's definitely sequence. Exactly, the Fibonacci sequence. And that's related to, like you were talking about with the ferns, you know, there's the yeah. ratio of the length of the branch and the size of the leaves and the ratio of her eyebrow or her non existent eyebrows and how they relate <laughs> to her nose. Or like I, I don't <laughs> I don't know all the just, the details just well with plucked, that. But... Okay. <laughs> Dude, she she don't, invented don't hate on my girl Mona. She invented the modern fad of just ripping your eyebrows out completely. <laughs> yeah, if you guys uh, want to see an example of the Fibonacci sequence in nature, look up a fiddlehead. Hmm. It's a little, it's a little plant. They're edible. I'd love to go foraging for fiddleheads one day. But yeah, it's very cool. They actually have that perfect spiral at the top, and the leaves like grow inwards towards the spiral. They're very cool-looking hmm. little plants. Nice. Well, so I'm thinking we we talked a little bit about fractals. I have one more example we can get into quickly, but I think uh universal principles is the next kind of topic and I think yeah. it's it's kind of a doozy. So I think we yeah. should maybe spend a little more time on that because it's uh yeah, and I, I want to leave yeah, some room for the fun. library, so yeah, definitely. So just, I guess one, just quickly to, to finish this one off, the last example that I could find is, which is pretty interesting, uh, it's called the Coke Snowflake, which is just a snowflake, but it's, uh, it's an in, the interesting thing about this example about a snowflake is how, um, like basically even a finite area, so you have a snowflake and that's like a bound object but even a finite one. area can have infinite patterns like so you just have a snowflake but if you keep on zooming in it just it's just infinite it just keeps going and that's a interesting concept i think like an infinite pattern within a finite object is it technically infinite though 
Uh, I think it depends. I guess it depends on. It's functionally infinite to a human being. I th- I think it is, like, oh man, yeah, it's um, I'm I'm not I'm not totally sure about that one. I guess that would depend on whether things are uh, simulated or not. Or not. True. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, check. Do some time. Take some time. Check out some fractals because it is you. You could. Uh, you could you could definitely spend a stoned afternoon in worst ways. <laughs> it it it'll be a, it'll be it'll be fun. You'll find it very interesting. They're beautiful. And, yeah, there's uh, so many different videos on YouTube, and there's just um, there's millions of different resources for looking at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, could uh um slightly lessen your hate for math like it did for me nice unexpected <laughs> benefit unexpected benefits all right dude let's let's get into this so uh we had a a listener give us an email recently shout out to jake my man jake and he he mentioned something that i just love so he he practices uh, a martial art called jujitsu and it's a it's like a grappling martial art and one of the things that he mentioned uh other than giving us some props for the podcast so thanks jake um is like he was talking with one of his training buddies about this idea um where he noticed that things that he was learning in and through jujitsu were actually applying to other areas of life and so that like immediately i just thought like oh man this is something that i've been thinking about a lot and i i i have termed it i i think about it as universal principle so but this is more of like a because then when I started thinking about it more, I realized like, okay, well, we can zoom out like way more than that to get a true like universal principle. Um, but some of those things that you are that you find are universal principles, and then some of them are like principles of the human condition, maybe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you could just still to consider give... it to be a universal principle for a human. Yeah, and and what generally what it is is it's just like. It is a universal principle, but we but we talk about it and think about it in the context of of being a human being or in yeah. the context of jujitsu or whatever it is that we're doing at that time. So it's kind of like a more specified yeah. ver- version of the universal principle. But I wanted to um, uh, I wanted to just give a quick example, like of what he's talking about. So, um, and I and I can do it specifically. I'll do it with with uh, jujitsu, and then something that I spend a lot of time doing, which is like which is playing and making music. So, so what you might find through through playing jujitsu—that's what I love. You play jujitsu. It's a it's a it's like a game. It's basically like chess, but with the human body. It's an awesome game. I love it. But what you might find, so like what what, what happens is when people first start playing jujitsu, 
they they get really fucking tense because it's a grappling thing. It's like wrestling kind of. And you know, when you're first starting, you you your ego is super involved and you have to you know, a lot of people feel like they have to prove themselves and they feel like unsafe. So they kind of get the reptilian brain going and like, and what ends up happening is they like tense up and they're really, really fucking rigid and really like ah, trying to resist everything. And, but what you end up finding is that you actually waste so much energy by doing that. And there's a place for surrendering completely and being completely relaxed and it's actually extremely important if you want to be a good jujitsu player to know uh when to provide resistance and when to like just absorb it so this this is a concept which uh so you could think about it as tension and release right so if you're tensed up the whole time like you're first of all you're gonna hurt yourself you're going to get tired super quickly and you're not going to be dynamic. You're going to be rigid and stuck in your thing. If you're completely relaxed the whole time, you're a wet noodle. Someone's just going to choke you out immediately. <laughs> like you have to be able to defend yourself. But by playing with this balance of tension and release uh, and knowing when to tense and when to release, that's how you play the game. And what's super interesting is that is one of the foundational principles of music is this idea of tension and release that's the whole idea about about like harmony and is like so if you if you only if you just play like for example if you just play the c if you're in c and you just play the c chord like that's it gives you this feeling of like home and release and like ah but if you only play that you're gonna be fucking so bored like there's nothing happening. There's no movement. It's just like, blah, this is home. And then it's like quarantine. I mean, it's, basically, it's like quarantine. But the thing is, is when you what you realize when you when you're done with quarantine, you realize, oh, I actually get to go outside. That's when you start adding other chords and you start adding these other colors and you start adding tension. And that's what makes music very beautiful and interesting is going between tension and release and how do you build up the tension slowly via different you can do it like harm harmonically or rhythmically or you can kind of do it in these different ways and then how do you release the tension so that's like ah and so that's that's the first example that i'd like to give for like this is something that you might learn in jujitsu and you're like oh yeah this is a jujitsu thing but then you realize oh shit that's the same thing in music and then but the thing that's amazing is these things are everywhere. They're all over the place. And that's what I want to get into with you today in this, in this, uh, segment. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to think of some, um, <clears throat> some examples of this. I came up with a lot of them, but I was trying to think of some that were, um, a little bit more zoomed out. And um, I came up with one that's kind of rough, but uh, it may may require a little bit more sanding to actually make it uh, make it good. But sort of like the idea of um, it's really basically the idea of um, inertia or um, 
I don't actually I don't think it's inertia it's um maybe force it's every action has an equal and opposite reaction so right. like if you're looking at two cosmic bodies like the earth and the moon it's a lot better for those two if they if 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 they want to stay intact to orbit each other and to sort of play off of the gravity of each of each other rather than to get out of balance and slam into each other because uh, that will just mutually destroy both or destroy one and severely harm the other. And um, you can apply that to um, obviously every sort of like physical interaction, but you can also apply it to like human relationships in the same way. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's if, a great example. Yeah, like two people's force... Um, their ability to apply force to the universe in some way or another. If they're in concert with each other and in balance with each other, then they they orbit and they make a nice dance um, where they stay together and they play off of each other, but they don't actually work against each other. Whereas if you're trying to work against somebody, then you just end up damaging both of you. Mm. I really like that example because, you know, it comes from, I think it's, it's one of Newton's laws of motion, right? Yeah, so that's like yeah. a, that's like a physics equation, basically, that shows um, what's happening on like a physical level. But then what's so cool, I love how you picked up that, you know, it's, it is in some sense a universal principle because it's not just about this physical motion, it's about it's happening on like on a like metaphysical level and like on an emotional like level there's all level. these different cultural you levels could, you there's could all these different ways to look at countries you could apply it yeah same exactly thing to governments yeah you know wars destroy both countries economies they cause all kinds of issues it's way better for the two to just be working together yes i would agree with that however you know Everyone has their opinion on that, I guess, because, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. We're going to stay away from that one. I almost, uh, I okay. almost I, threw down a couple anybody, jabs yeah, there. Yeah. But. Well, I, well, I don't think anybody, uh, the, the main the main thrust to that was, was um, better for people to get along than go to war with each other. And, you know, yeah, I think we I can don't agree think too many that. people are going to uh, argue with that stance. But, you know, just trying to apply the principle broadly. Uh, yeah, but I think broad it works. strokes, broad strokes, <laughs> very broad yeah, strokes. I, I really like that. And, you know, this this conversation about universal principles, it would be incomplete, I realized, without talking about the hermetic principles. Because oh my this is a set of principles that is absolutely just right on the money when it comes to universal principles, man. And it's going to be, there's a lot of fun stuff in here for us to, us to talk about. I'm so glad you brought that up. I forgot. I forgot yes. about what I was going to read. Yeah, we can, we can start it off with that. And then I, I have the, the different ones written down here right. and we can, we can you want me to, dive you want me into to start it. off. All right. So <laughs> interestingly enough, this, so this is a, um, part of the emerald tablet 
which is a part of the Hermetica and was one of the main founding principal documents for the uh, medieval practice of alchemy, which was the search for some method to transmute elements into other elements, the classic being lead into gold. And as, a, as an added um, synchronicity, we were just talking about Mr. Isaac Newton. He actually did this particular translation. And so. just real real quickly, uh, just to add to what to this to to that is that document is where the hermetic principles are found, and you stumbled on this completely separately from from me and my uh research and findings on this topic we did not talk about hermeticism or these principles at all uh before this and then we just like found oh look at that like i'm i brought this to the table and then you found this you know this um this passage from the same text just completely separately so that's kind yeah. of mind-boggling <clears throat> yeah it was really cool um, some of you may have heard the phrase as above so below and the emerald tablet is where that phrase is from alright here we go and this isn't the whole thing I'm, I'm not going to read the entire thing because it gets pretty weird but I'm going to read the relevant part tis true without lying certain and most true that which is below is like that which is above, and that which is above is like that which is below, to do the miracle of one only thing. And as all things have been and arose from one by the mediation of one, so all things have their birth from this one thing by adaptation. The sun is its father, the moon is its mother, the wind hath carried it in its belly, the earth is its nurse, the father of all perfection in the whole world is here. Its force or power is entire if it be converted into earth. Separate thou the earth from the fire, the subtle from the gross, sweetly, with great industry. It ascends from the earth to the heaven, and it again descends that to the earth, and receives the force of things superior and inferior. By this means you shall have the glory of the whole world, and thereby all obscurity shall fly from you. There you go. So basically, universal principles. <laughs> yeah. Check it out, and you're not going to have to think as much because you realize that there are these few concepts that relate to everything you don't have to of course it's also useful to look at each uh each microcosm as its own system but it's you know extremely important to see the overall interconnectedness of all of these things at the same time that's part of what he's getting at there in much more esoteric terms yeah I, th I think a good example of a failure of people to see these things because, you know, us talking here, it might seem pretty obvious 
that you should follow some of these. Sorry, pouring myself another cup of joe here. Um, but a perfect example of people failing to understand this is the current climate crisis. Um, you know, it's it's a universal principle that if you if you fuck up ecosystems in various ways, it it causes damage up and down the chain of ecosystem. Basically, the the thought is that everything's connected, which would be I think would be the big universal principle. And you can't just trash a river or dump plastic in the ocean without hurting the entire world ecosystem. And it's not going to hurt it in some major way each time, but over the course of decades and centuries and and millions and billions of people not caring in these little ways has led to major uh, environmental damage that may end up being irreversible. So yeah, and th- yeah, that's a good point. And you know, it it relates back to our conversation when we were talking about the microbiome. Yeah, because as above, so below. Like, so what is happening on a global scale? We have our our biodiversity is just plummeting every single day. Yeah. Oh, I wish I knew the statistic about this, but it's horrifying how many species are going extinct every single day so we're just hemorrhaging biodiversity which to me is one of the most beautiful things about being on planet earth is seeing all of these amazing uh different manifestations of nature and how we can all these different plants and animals and the way they interact with each other and it's also part of you know what makes a robust and reliable system is one that is diverse so we talk, uh, I think we talked about this a little bit, but like, yeah, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but the idea is that's happening on this macro level when we look at the planet Earth, and the same thing is happening in our guts as yeah, modern human beings. Exactly, it is. That's as above, so below. That's the second hermetic principle right there. Um. And there, there's a there's some other interesting examples of that, like with the as above, so below. Another one that you could that people sometimes talk about is like if you look at if you go micro and you look at an atom, you know, you have this nucleus and then you have these kind of or at least the way that it's often shown, it doesn't quite work like this because because quantum shit is crazy. But you know, you you see like the nucleus and then you have the the electrons like orbiting it. It's doesn't quite work like that but it's still when we visualize it it's like oh yeah that and and it kind of is like that it's just i don't know it's complicated but that's the same thing that's happening if you look at like a solar system you have a star and then you have all of these planets like orbiting it it's kind of like another you can go up another step and say a galaxy is like a big solar system exactly so that's that's the the principle of correspondence as above so below as below so above as within so without as without so within Mm. and these are what's so interesting to me about this is that these are like this universal principles type of, of thing is almost 
in and of itself a universal principle for human beings. Like, it's been talked about in pretty much every culture, every religion, every society that humans have have popped up with. Somewhere in in the tradition of the culture or the religion, you can find this um, as, I think it was Aldous Huxley, I want to say, who termed it the perennial philosophy of like um, complete interconnection between all things Mm. and um, total universality and so like like people have been discussing and talking about and experiencing this universality ever since they've been writing things down yeah there's there's texts from thousands and thousands of years ago that, i mean the the ancient egyptians talked about this the indus valley dwellers talked about this obviously the the hindus and the ancient um chinese talked about this so it is in and, and in the West too. I mean, there is a there's a large, especially outside of America, there's a large like mystic Christian uh, tradition that talks a lot about this. Hmm. And um, the West has gotten a little material, so they they have uh, lost a little of their philosophical and theological bent because it doesn't make a ton of money most of the time. Yeah, um, and more makes people less interested in money, but. Um, it's still there and uh, people have been I, I think people are naturally drawn to it I think there's something deep within us that um, that feels disconnected from the whole 100% and that's actually very interesting you say that because I think personally I think the thing that is one of the major factors why we feel that way is because we are so stuck in our heads we are so Mm -hmm. identified with our thinking and we're so immersed in this it's actually really interesting um I, i was listening to eckhart tolle the other day and he was talking about how like the internet is a extension of the ego which is really interesting uh, concept. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this isn't the right place to get into it, but because um, I think a conversation about the ego is, it's kind of, um, it's a little bit of a different thing, but basically that segues really nicely. We'll talk about that more later. That segues really nicely into the first hermetic principle, the principle of mentalism which states all is mind the universe is mental interesting very interesting I I have one thing to bring up about that which is pretty um, I don't know a little dubious alright there is a striking similarity between If you look at a neuron and you look at how it connects to other neurons in the brain, Mm -hmm. 
if you take a photo of that and then you look at a photo of our or not a photo it's obviously a model of our current understanding of the observable universe you basically can't tell the difference yeah. it looks almost exactly the same you can look this up it's really really strange to look at the two next to each other yeah by the way other two other things that look extremely similar to brain mapping one the connections that have been made through the internet mm-hmm. two soil mycelium yeah very very similar patterning in all four of those things your brain the internet fungus and the entire universe yeah so basically i mean one way to think about this is that the universe if all is mind the universe is mental so the universe is a brain Ooh. <laughs> a breaking new scientific discovery the universe <laughs> is a brain <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine how people would react to that i, I honestly at this point um i'm not gonna derail be this too much like like <laughs> Like, they just basically came out and said that there's aliens the other day and nobody gives a shit. Like, I don't think anybody cares about anything now or they'll they just say, fake news. You know, nobody <laughs> believes anything they don't want to believe these days. Yeah, and, and when you say they, like the U.S. military, the U.S. Navy, not just like some guy on the internet. No, yeah, like, this, this was is... the, the government like the US government or the US government leaked i mean strong language strong language like one of the the passages was a vehicle that was not made on earth like straight up found alien technology <laughs> like believed to be a uh, extraterrestrial vehicle of some kind and nobody's I mean it was on it was on Tucker Carlson like for I don't understand it man nobody cares about anything these days or nobody believes anything it's mental man it's absolutely mental well getting back to what you were saying I wanted to bring up something that's really interesting um about that sort of thing whenever we talk about you know universality and how we're all interconnected um this is something that is is a it's kind of a common sense thing but it's something i never really thought about much um alan watts said something about how um all senses are essentially just ultra-refined versions of touch. Like, Mm. you know, things in your eyes touch photons or photons touch them, and that creates electrical signals that it gets sent back to your brain. Um, And, you know, your ears, uh, vibrational waves touch them. Your nose, little particles of what you're smelling touches sensors in your nose. Mm-hmm. So, in this way, the the big one to think about for me is sight. Because when you go outside and you're looking up at the stars, you're not just like, 
you're not some completely disconnected observer. You're touching those stars. Ooh, They're beautiful. sending out photons that have that are traveling for millions of years often and are physically interacting with you. They're touching you with part of their energy. And yeah, it's a small part, but everything you see, everything you you can perceive in this universe, you're interacting with. Hmm. Yeah, and and that's first of all, that's just fucking beautiful um, <laughs> to think about. But also, you know, if we think about if we use this um, this analogy of the universe as a mind or as a brain, you know, we can think about. And it, again, it's this is this fractal thing. So you could think about galaxies as being neurons as being these nodes uh, or you could think about solar systems or you could zoom in and you could keep zooming in and keep zooming in until you get to the point where a human being is a neuron and you know th this has been proven like you know how much of an effect uh, we have on each other uh, if I if I had been more prepared I, I didn't actually think about this beforehand but you know it's it's proven that like if you if you know somebody who is happy, you are more likely to be happy. If you know somebody who's depressed, you're more likely to be depressed. It's the same thing like with when a neuron fires, the the neurons in its orbit or like in its area are affected by that electromagnetic force. And it's the same thing with human beings. It's the same exact thing. We affect everybody that we interact with whether we know it or not. We human beings you know we are neurons or we are antennae that are picking up these subtle forces whether we want to or not we can't turn off we kind of turn off when we sleep but we can't really turn off and every single interaction that we have affects us and so you know that's something that that's kind of like what what we're doing here you know we 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 are building a brain. We're building a brain <laughs> with all of you, with everybody who's listening. We're building a brain, and we get to decide how that brain functions. We get to decide, to, in some degree, each neuron that's in there has a, has a choice. How am I going to contribute to the brain? Am I going to just try to think about myself and try to preserve my myself? Well... That doesn't really work in a brain like the the thing that is the best for the brain is for all of the neurons to be working together in a synergistic fashion and that's how we can create something that Nate and I could never create by ourselves this this thing would be it would be what we always do without all of you listening Nate and I always talk about this kind of stuff we have these conversations and it's fun and engaging and fulfilling for us and we learn a bunch but without all of you it's it's just a ping pong game kind of yeah. you know so let's build a brain <laughs> together I, I love thinking about it that way yeah uh, me too and and you know it, as, a, as an aside you know we mentioned um jake sending us the email that was the inspiration for this whole episode i mean yeah 
So he he directed a little a little thought burst at us, and we we built our episode around it. So exactly, we 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 mean this in a very real and practical way. We want we want to um, include you guys in the in the process of of making these things. So um, definitely encourage everyone listening to think about a topic that they would like to, us to discuss, or maybe even something that we already talked about that. You want us to take a different angle on, or something like that. Oh, that that reminds me. Uh, we'll we'll get back into the topic in a second, but I I do want to mention we just discovered, uh, that you can actually send us voice messages through. Oh yeah. Uh, through Anchor, through the platform that we're using to publish the podcast, so you can actually send us a voice message. You can say whatever you want. You can tell us how shitty the podcast is, or you can just <laughs> say how much you love it, or you can add something, or or ask questions, or anything. And and um, yeah, like if you do that, there's a chance that we'll actually play the message on the podcast and respond to it, or we can just play it as a standalone thing. If you want to, uh, like we've talked about, you know, you could do a little song or a poem, or you could ask a question or whatever, and. It's really cool. We we just found out that you can send us voice messages directly because another one of our listeners who emailed us, he he said that he wants to kind of discuss these things more, but an email maybe isn't the best way to do that. So mm-hmm. the voice thing is one step, and we're we're thinking about how we can actually turn this into more of a mega mind kind of thing where we where these interactions are more seamless because email is a little bit. Um, archaic in some sense, but it's great for sharing uh, your the different uh, creative expressions, or you know, it's it's gr- it's really good for certain things. Like I said, I'm going to set up a Discord eventually. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. Keep you posted. So Still in the, the beginning phases of these things. Yeah. So so that was just a quick aside there, and and just thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. It really warms warms our heart our hearts <laughs> Nate and I actually share a heart and it is warmed every time somebody <laughs> listens through an it's episode. a quantum heart <laughs> you can only actually tell which chest it's beating in when you freeze it and uh, uh, aside from that it's just in a superposition of both both chests <laughs> exactly Schrodinger's heart Schrodinger's heart everybody we're we're we come across a new mind-blowing scientific discovery every single episode and somebody needs to start writing this shit down because we're gonna start we're gonna lose it (laughs) (laughs) oh man okay (laughs) let's let's go to number three unless you have anything you want to add no dude i'm ready to i'm ready to go into into this next one i'm all right super excited about this um this is our first installment of what we would call the library where hank and i are going to put on our nicest kingly robes we're going to sit down by our fireplaces with our loyal hounds curled at our feet and break out our tobacco pie pipes um you know quote quote unquote tobacco and um we're gonna we're gonna discuss some fine literature with you guys and this yeah, first unfortunately, one. sorry, real quick, 
there was still four more hermetic principles to go through, but I don't think we quite have time to go through all of that hey, today. Hey, we can get back to the, we can get back, we could probably do a whole topic on just hermetic principles. Yeah, we'll, we'll, because uh, it's, we're already almost an hour in here, so we definitely yeah. don't have time to go through all of those. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll bring those back uh, if, yeah, if y'all are interested. Yeah, let's do a whole topic. Yeah, we'll do a whole topic on the history and, and explore, exploring the hermetic principles. Um, so today's library is going to be about a novel that, um, was written during the thirties and published during the forties, uh, by Herman Hesse. Das Glasperlspiel. Glasperlenspiel. Oh man. It is the glass bead game. And, Amazing uh, book, incredible book. Herman Hesse wrote. Uh, he got the Nobel Prize for literature. He's an incredible author. Um, also wrote Steppenwolf and Siddhartha and um, what's it, Damien, the the bird one. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's written a bunch of amazing ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the list so, goes on and on. He's got he's just amazing. If you haven't read any Herman Hesse works, uh you're missing out. I I Yeah, check I them out. They're they're great. Um it is a little difficult to read. I don't know if y'all have ever tried to read um older books outside of like high school and college and stuff, but it can be kind of difficult to get into literature. That's I'd recommend written. Siddhartha. That one's really simple, yeah, Siddhartha. beautifully Siddhartha written, easily written. That's a that's a great like starting if you want to just to get an idea of what he, how he writes, what he talks about. That's a great great starting point because it's, it's super easy to read. Yeah, it's, it's basically short a stylized version of the story of the life of the Buddha. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Beautiful. Book. That was that was one of the few books that was required reading in high school that, you know, cause for me, anything that was required reading was almost ruined because <laughs> people telling me what to do as a teenager. It just, those two things did not really go together very well, but that book was so books most of the time. Yeah. A lot of shitty books, but that book was so good that not even required reading and like, um, busy Not work. Even the American education down. system could ruin it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well said. But yeah, today we're going to talk about the glass bead game, which um, I would highly recommend. Uh, don't expect a exciting narrative read. It is not. It's not very plot driven. So I'm not really going to get into a ton of the plot here. Um, nothing I say is going to spoil any any anything for it. There's not really twists and turns in this book. Um, it's a lot more of like a philosophical, ideological exploration um, from the standpoint of a somewhat utopian society. So the I'll, I'll set up the scene a little bit. Um, 
It's written in a indeterminate future time period. And it's not like a science fiction because there's not really, I mean, I, I, I can't remember a single instance of any kind of like advanced technology or anything in the book. No. Um, the, the advancement is more on a cultural level. And the society of that day and one particular country has decided to create um, what is essentially a intellectual monastic order. So it's called Castalia, and it's it's very similar to a monastery in that the um, the Castalians they they don't eat a ton. They don't have like n- nice lodging. They have very they live very very simple lives, and they essentially dedicate their entire existence to the acquisition of knowledge and the study of of intellectual subjects, and the the government pays for um every, uh, their everything for them. So very gifted, intelligent children are selected at an early age to go to Castalia. And um, they can choose whether or not to become one of these monks or not. So the book follows a particular, the life of a particular Castalian named Joseph Connect. And um, he ends up being... Um, the head honcho of the Castalian order, the Mag- Magister Ludi, the master of the game. And um, the book is basically about the course of his life becoming Magister Ludi. Once again, not a spoiler. They say it like right in the beginning of the book. Um, and he sort of bucks a lot of the trends in Castalia. You come into Castalia, and Joseph comes into Castalia at sort of a strange point where um, in the beginning of the order, the sort of practical purpose for all these monks learning was that they would um, be seconded to schools and wealthy people as tutors and teachers and stuff. So essentially it was like, okay, well, these people are going to go become these hyper-intellectual monks, and then they're going to come out and they're going to educate people and, you know, live and, and exist within the order, but, you know, give something to society through education. But in the time that Joseph goes into the order, there's basically no more education to the outside world. It's a it's pretty much only an insular community that's dedicated to what is called the glass bead game. And the glass bead game is kind of a strange concept. It is not explained in the book in detail. The themes and principles of the game are explained, but how you play the game is not explained. But it's more instead of instead of being like a competitive game, it's more like a musical performance and there actually is actual music in the game as a part of a is like an integral part of of the structure of it 
But um, as far as I could tell, and people have different interpretations on this, but here's mine. It's actually kind of similar to what Hank do, Hank and I do. Um, basically, the the players in the game would set up a central theme around which they would explore various intellectual topics relating back to one central theme and connecting things through music and other, you know, connecting uh, principles and themes. Yeah, so like it would be an example. Um, you you would have a theme and then somebody might play a fugue that's related to that theme and then the next player would introduce or like write a mathematical formula that explains that thing and then and it's like this thing that's yeah, kind the of next orbiting would go into philosophy the next person would go exactly. into biology yeah so it's and... kind of this game that's orbiting and revolving around this nucleus but it's operating on on multiple different dimensions yeah and it's thought that um in the past in the early days of castalia these games would be big public spectacles that everybody would come to see but when joseph goes through it's essentially only attended by the members of castalia or as like like token dignitaries people who are kind of trying to suck up to the government and play for political points yeah and for them just quickly the glass bead game is like the ultimate this is the ultimate expression like this is the thing in castalia like everybody aspires to be a glass bead game player and to be the best glass bead game player is the ultimate purpose in some the, yeah, sense of a lot the best, of these people then you're the magister ludi and you run the order basically yeah and the the glass bead game players get their own like special little lodging and everything so joseph is a is a talented glass bead game player interestingly enough they don't set him up as like some kind of prodigy which i found very um enjoyable because he's a very relatable character yeah he's obviously very intelligent but he's not like he doesn't just go in there and blow everybody away with his super smart brain. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's really cool because a lot of it is actually because of like the experiences that he, and the mentors that he has mm -hmm. throughout, throughout his um, growth process. So it's not, yeah, like you said, it's not that he has, he's got such a fat brain and he can just outwit everybody. It's more that he has had mentors and people um, in his life that have, that have helped him along this process of growth and have had a huge impact on him. And that's a big part of his, his rise to, to that position of the Magister Ludi. Yeah. And another interesting aspect of that is that he one of the main reasons the um sort of higher echelons of castalia choose him um to have these these mentors and to send him on these different um trips and stuff is that he seems to get along with people really well 
Hmm. And he can he can interact and, and befriend people who are very different than him. And uh, that is first explored in his best friend from childhood growing up in the school, Plinio Designori, um, who was a, uh, a son of a wealthy family and who comes to Castalia as a sort of um, it's kind of like a an exchange student like he goes there to study for a, a temporary time and he meets Joseph they become really good friends and they end up like debating like holding public debates where Plinio takes the side of the quote unquote world the real world and Joseph takes the side of Castalia and Plinio basically says that Castalia is this ivory tower that um people that, that, that don't really need it doesn't really add value to society anymore and joseph is you know arguing for the point of gestalia that it's this you know it, it, the intellect intellectual things and the knowledge that's created here is valuable in and of itself and uh the higher officers of gestalia take note of this and take note of how well he gets along with plenio and so they decide to send Joseph on a series of little jaunts into other places. Um, the first place he goes is to, he, they just call it the Bamboo Grove. And he goes to see a man who simply refers to himself as Older Brother. And Older Brother is one of my favorite characters in this whole book. Older Brother is really cool. Um, he's essentially a Zen master. They don't particularly say that he is involved in anything, but he's basically a Zen master. I think and the his... bamboo, the bamboo, kind of points it, yeah. in that direction <laughs> a little bit. There's some, there's some definitely, definite big hints, and he's also a practitioner of the I Ching and stuff like that. So, but one of the things that I loved about older brothers, if he, if if you asked him a question that he didn't really feel like answering, he just wouldn't say anything. <laughs> and Joseph like gets ignored by him all the time and he gets frustrated with how often older brother will just give him like either cryptic one word nothing answers or just not say anything at all um, but one of the uh, one of my favorite lines from older brother is uh, Joseph asks him or expresses interest on bringing the I Ching into the glass bead game an older brother says you can show your bamboo grove to the world but you'd have a hard time bringing the world into your bamboo grove sort of a uh, basically he was saying that you know this, your, your game is, is just that it's, it's, it's small time man you know, this is uh, the I Ching. This is this is a sort of system that's been around for thousands of years, and it's it, definitely it, 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 touching yeah. on universal principles. Definitely touching on universal principles there. Uh, um, just real, or here you can finish up, and then I want to no, just no, go bring ahead. it back a sec. Okay, because I do want to just bring it back a second here because you know I think it's valuable for us to talk about not just like what's happening in the book, but also like how, yeah, like you've already done kind of 
saying how you are, you know, our interpretations of these different things and how they apply to the real world. And, and one of the things that I thought we can talk about a little bit is, you know, when they're debating about uh, the, the ivory tower debate, right? So there's, there's this idea that like, okay, the Castalians, like they're just kind of Plinio is saying like, yeah, you guys are real smart and everything, but you're basically just having an intellectual circle jerk that has <laughs> no, that doesn't affect the real world at all. You guys are totally insulated from everything that's going on. Um, and I thought, you know, that's a, it's a very interesting point because it is something, you know, that we, what we can take away from that is like, you know, there is there's so much for us to learn there's so much to explore on an intellectual level but if we don't if we don't like take it of course we can just do it for fun but if it's if there's no practicality to it and if we're not bringing that value and sharing it with other people if we're just like in our own little world with it then it kind of is a little bit of a circle jerk and and there is this element of you know ivory tower is a really it's a great term because it's like yes you're totally insulated but you're also looking down on everyone else mm -hmm. so there is this thing um you know it's really common with people that are highly intellectual in their fields um i know this happens a lot with like jazz musicians people who have been like because jazz is the fucking it's the end all it's the most complex and most richly harmonic form of music and pop musicians don't understand anything that we're doing you know it's like <laughs> and and I, I, not all jazz musicians are like that but i i have met some uh and it's, it's it's kind of a it's kind of like a running joke in the music world that like jazz people are just so kind of full of themselves because <laughs> they have spent so much time uh in that intellectual yeah. exploration and it comes out in the music a lot of modern jazz is very heady it's very much like an intellectual thing that you can yeah. only appreciate if you have studied music for a long time i've listened to some modern jazz and found it to be very um uh some of it not all of it but, but to be very like boring isn't the word but just not that enjoyable like yeah aesthetically not that good to listen to and yeah it's like impressive and interesting and unique but it just it's sort of lost its prettiness <laughs> you know? yeah it's, it's lost some of its beauty because it's, in, in the in the pursuit of complexity exactly and so and this is something i heard about uh recently talked about which is like the balance in music specifically but the balance between science and soul mm. so the science is like the technique and the the fingerings and the uh the music theory and all of this stuff which is super important but if you only have that and you don't have the soul it's garbage yeah it's like who wants to listen to that you can you can sit there with your with your pipe and you can go oh yes he's uh doing a mo uh reharmonization and he's oh yes this uh oh he's doing a flat flat nine there nice nice you know and it's just like this thing that's happening in your head so but that's kind of what what they're talking about in 
you know, I use the example of music because it's very near and dear to me, but it's, you know, the same exact thing can happen in science. It can happen in, in all in politics. It happens everywhere. And it does. And it's super important that, you know, whenever we do engage in these intellectual discoveries, it's beautiful to go in there and go deep and to go fully into that world. But we need to bring it back out and share it with everybody else. And we need to think about how is this practical? How is this useful? Because if we just spend all day, I mean, a good circle jerk, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're spending all day circle jerking, then it's it Bonds kind of loses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, and um, I, I I won't do a full book report on everything that's going to happen in the book, but um, it will bring it full circle because, as I said, there's, it's not a super plot-driven book. But basically, after the bamboo grove, the Castalian Order sends Joseph to a Catholic monastery, which I found to be very interesting because... Um, the the bamboo grove with elder brother is essentially a little zen monastery with just one person and castalia is uh, a, a an intellectual monastery and then he goes to a catholic monastery and meets a man named father jacobus who continues he once again he befriends him despite their many ideological differences and they have lots of debates and um when Joseph ends up returning to Castalia, he decides that although he loves Castalia, he loves the glass bead game, um, and as, as I said before, they actually end up making him the head honcho of the whole order because of his massive success in um, furthering relationships with the Catholic Church and the wealthy families of the political sphere and all these different things. Basically, his service to the order is why they decide to put him in, in charge and his ability to form relationships with people. And he almost immediately decides to drop it. And he, he ends up... Um, he actually, interestingly enough, he requests to resign he requests the like to the the main body of ruling you know officers at castalia and they tell him no and he does it anyways and so he ends up going out into the world and tutoring plenio designori's son and kind of getting back to the roots of what castalia was made for so that'll be the end of my my uh, narrative there, but I wanted to bring it back full circle there because it, it, the story does follow exactly what you were just talking about. That um, the the main character does end up deciding that yeah, you know this this system, while incredible and beautiful, is not serving the world, is not making things better. It's become too insular. It's become too up its own ass. And I am going to lead the charge as an example to take it back to its noble roots. 
and in that way he makes uh, the great sacrifice of dropping the very position that everyone in the order wants to get into and going to be a humble tutor in the uh, basically in the service of a hot-headed young kid and I I mean there's so many things that I could say that I love about this book but one of the biggest things that I love is the 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 whole full circle journey of Joseph sort of um, in the beginning he meets this uh, this character called the music master and he's just blown away that the music master even wants to talk to him and he plays this little this fun little thing you know this basically has a jam session with the music master the music master sees some talent in him and he ends up um, recommending him for Castalia and you know he's he's this wide-eyed like he's he always expresses a sort of surprise that he's chosen for these various roles he doesn't know why and you know in the end he he's given basically he just he's given everything he could want and then he just gives it all away because he realizes he didn't really want it mm. and i mean the the themes in this book are just so beautiful um, and uh, interestingly enough, I think the book itself kind of plays the glass bead game with itself because it, ha- it, it at the very core of the book, it is exploring this idea of the sort the sort of place of the intellectual life in the world, and it's taking it from fifty different angles. Yeah. And doing it all in the uh, the context of a of a story narrative. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, or if the book you read. I mean, some some prints apparently don't have them. I don't know exactly how this works, but um, at the end of the book, they decide Herman Hesse decided to like. I, I, would, I don't even know. How would you describe... Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I when I say the three yes. lives? It's like, basically... It's basically past lives. Yeah, the, the thought is is that is one of the exercises of a young Joseph in, in uh, Castalia as a writing exercise. They write a, um, an autobiography um, as if they were living in a different time period. And... So the three lives are this these super cool short stories. Um, one about um, uh, a tribal society, a rainmaker in a hunter gatherer tribe. One about a wandering, um, wandering Christian. Um, I think they called him a confessor. Basically, somebody who goes around and. Um, like a traveling priest pretty much and then the third one is in like ancient india kind of contemporary with something like the ramayana or mahabharata um and they are they take completely different angles to to a lot of the principles and themes he's talking about in the book and i won't get into all three of them because we're just going to go way over time but I just can't recommend this book enough. 
Um, it's it's right up our alley. It's basically a novelization of a lot of the themes and, and principles of this podcast. Um, and uh, I I hope you get the chance to check it out someday. Yeah, I want to just give maybe as like a closing here you know we we realized this uh when when we decided to to talk about this book it's been very influential for both Nate and I and and we kind of realized okay we without being aware of it we are playing the glass bead game and perfect example of this um so uh, I showed this podcast to one of my friends and he he just loved it. He was very inspired by it and he was like, man, I've been thinking about making a podcast for a while, but like this is exactly what I was thinking about doing. And basically what ended up happening is he was from listening to our podcast, he was inspired to create a basically a like he was inspired to create visual art around what we were talking about in the podcast so it's like so if we think about it in glass bead game terms it's like we have a conversation we have a dialogue which and now we have the next the next player here who comes in and now he throws in a video that he made based around these same themes which inspired us even further uh to to expand more on these themes and also you know and then and another aspect of this it's happening on so many different levels but the same thing with um like i make the music for each episode so each time we do a conversation then I'm also creating, and I didn't really do this in the beginning, but now I'm thinking more of like, oh, okay, now I can create a piece of music that is based around these themes and based around this concept. So we're actually playing the glass bead game, and we really want to play with you, with with everyone listening. Yeah. We need more players than just the two or three of us. Yeah. And it's beautiful how how much it's already happening. Yeah, uh, but I mean, we really. Well, well, Jake told you about that that thing with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing, and yeah, you know, then he bounced it over to us. We talked about it, and then um, you know, we decided to do this episode. Um, you know, Timmy, we'll, we'll give it to him f- to to do a little video snippet with. Um, I know I'm doing some paintings inspired by yeah. the podcast and how how things uh, are going with it, so. You know, it's just putting putting positive creative energy out there, I think. Um, as we were saying before, everything you do and everything you interact with, is, it's all connected. So when you're doing stuff like this, it, it just creates more positivity and more creati- creativity in the world. Yeah. So, you know, we want you to be a part of that as well. Yeah, and, and you know, to bring it back to the glass bead game, the, the novel you know what what he kind of found and what we're finding is it's not important how good you you are at the game or 
if to if you to become magister ludi or whatever like the thing that was really important in joseph joseph's life and in all of our lives are the relationships mm -hmm. that were formed along the journey and 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 seeing how everything is connected making the connections with people and with all of these seemingly disparate ideas bringing it all together into one one like bringing it to this one thing and then and it's also you know it's a it's an expression it's an it's a emotional and creative expression that we can all share together i think it's just absolutely beautiful every time i see something that was inspired by this or that people want to share it just it just tickles it just tickles my my whole body it just it's just amazing to see like we're gonna share some of these um some of these videos that timmy made uh for the podcast they're just amazing um and there's so many different things i mean he he's working in vr so there's some crazy stuff that we're we're thinking about going into later how we can put this all together with music and visual art and creating a virtual space and oh man it's just it's so exciting it's absolutely amazing we got a lot of fun ideas but i think we're gonna leave it off there today hank so great to do another one with you as always and man i just can't wait for the next one and i look forward to hearing from our dear listeners same here, man. Thank you guys for tuning in. We love you, and we'll catch you on the next episode. See you next time. There you have it, everybody. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We love and appreciate each and every one of you. And if you appreciate what we do here on the podcast, please take a moment to share with a friend. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on wherever you listen to the show. I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, morning. And we will catch you next time.